Well, Pastor Kelly's going to start us off here, and uh, he's uh, the pastor at the American Fork Campus. Hi, American Fork Campus. Great to see you guys. You can have your superstar come up now. Let's welcome Pastor Kelly. Thank you, little buddy. Come on, I had to say it, right? All right, well, if you're in the American Fork Campus and you're new, come next week because I want to meet you. Deal? Okay. Well, awesome. So this is fun. It's good to be back to, to Draper. I always feel like I'm, I'm coming home to where it all started. So it's always kind of surreal when I get to come back. But, you know, before I, we jump into the word, I just, um, I wanted to thank, you know, Pastor Ira. You know, the Bible says to honor our leaders. And, you know, I mentored under Pastor Eric for, for years. And then when he went to be uh, with the Lord, Ira really took me under his wing. And I definitely wouldn't be here preaching today, if not for his, his mentorship and, and continued leadership in, in my life. So thanks, Pastor Ira. I love you, man. Well, cool. So let's pray, and we'll welcome the presence of the Lord. Father, we just humbly come before you. It's just a privilege to, to be called your servant, to be called a, a child of God, adopted into the sonship. And Lord, I just pray that you open our hearts to what you have to say in your word. Lord, that you will transform us, that you will change us in some way. That we will not leave today not changed or not even the same person we, we came in. Lord, I just pray for this body, that it will be encouraged to go out into the community. That it will not be afraid of this world, not afraid of, of it people or, or anything that can come against us, but that we will be able to, sto- to step boldly and courageously into our communities, into our families, into our spheres of influence, so we may make an impact in your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. All right, so we got a, a pretty heavy message for you today. We titled the sermon, Two Gates. Now, this is a sermon that's going to go very against what the world wants to teach you. And we're going to go into a lot of detail on why that is. Because the world doesn't like two paths. It likes multiple choice. right? You need to have a lot of, of answers to questions. There's not just one answer. Have you guys noticed that in our culture today? What we're going to see is how the Bible really explains to us and how Jesus in particular explains to us that it's black and white, that there is no gray. And so we're going to look at this. I'm going to first look at the first gate, which was be called the broad gate or the broad path. And then Pastor Ira is going to look at the narrow gate or the narrow path. But before I jump into the, the, the scripture, I want to ask you a question. Has anybody ever done something wrong? Oh, good. I'm not alone. Whew. I was really worried about that. Um, so when, when I, uh, today, yeah, good. That's good, Rob. Um, so when I was a kid, uh, my mother, she worked part-time at the church that we went to. She was the secretary, and she had basically one rule when we were, when she wasn't home, was we shouldn't cook or use the stove or, or do anything related to fire or anything like that, right? So, but one morning, I woke up, must have been a Saturday morning or someday I didn't have school. I was probably eight or nine. And I decided that morning I had to have pancakes. 
I was like, that's it. I just have to have pancakes, right? So I gather everything I need, and I realize at the very end, oh, I don't have the syrup. Now, pancakes without syrup are, are kind of pointless, right? And so I realized, well, I got to get the syrup. And then I saw the syrup was on the top shelf of the pantry. And my mom is, is a Southern belle, so she didn't just keep it in the Mrs. Butterworth like a normal person. She puts in this fancy glass dispenser so it looks really you know, handy when you, when you pour it. So I realized, okay, I got to get to the syrup or this has all been a complete waste of time. And so I may, do this makeshift ladder. I wasn't six foot four at that point in my life, believe it or not. But I tried to get the ladder and I climbed up and of course the ladder was not sturdy and as I fell, I smacked the syrup down with it as, as I reached for it. And of course the glass dispenser just shatters all over the kitchen floor. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is like Kool-Aid or, you know, spilled milk. I can just grab some towels, maybe some paper. I'll just clean this up real quick. Mom will never know. I'll just like throw the, the glassware under the rug or something, right? I soon realized that syrup is very difficult to clean, especially with a towel or paper towels, right? So I'm, I'm pushing it in all these different corners, and it's not being absorbed. I'm covered in it. Every towel in the house is covered in it. I'm thinking... Oh, man, I am in big trouble, right? So, of course, mom comes home, you know, two hours later. I gave up about a half hour into this cleanup. I just realized, well, the wrath is coming. Might as well just go watch cartoons and enjoy my life while I still have it. <laughs> so she comes. Of course, she's like, you know, panic, like, what just happened? Why didn't you call me? You know, I'll, I get the lecture, you know. And... You know, of course, she mopped it up. She spent hours cleaning it up. I remember having to watch her, like, sitting on the stool, feeling, like, guilty and that she had to clean this up. But I soon realized, this story taught me, oh, so you told us not to cook because of a reason. So there was a warning. You guys see where I'm going with this? Like, okay, so there was a reason why you didn't want to cook. You just didn't want me just to just do it, right? So I soon realized from the story that oh, there's a reason why mom didn't want me doing that. There was a warning that she was giving us. And to relate it to the verse, we're going to be looking at a warning that Christ gives us. And it's a truth warning. And we're going to look at what that is. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope all of you do, we're looking at Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. And I am going to personally tackle verse 13, and then Pastor Iyer is going to look at verses 14. But turn with me to Matthew 7, verse 13. It says, enter through the narrow gate. And this is, this is Christ talking. Remember, we're on the Sermon on the Mount. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Now, one thing that pops out to me when I read that is the word many. Now, if you're a believer, that should just break your heart. That we're, Jesus is telling us that many are going to the roads of destruction. Now, this is the heart of evangelism. You know, we don't, we don't just go and, and share the gospel because it makes us feel good. We do it because people are dying. Amen? We do it because it's a necessity, because we read that, and we can't help but go and share. You know, in, in life, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? When I spilled the syrup, I realized that was a really bad idea. Won't do that again, and I didn't. So God is telling us, he's like, before you have hindsight, I'm going to tell you what is to come. He is God, so he has the power to see this is what's going to happen. And so we need to take this warning for real. I hope that none of you just walk out today thinking, you know, yeah, there's a lot of ways to go to heaven. There's a lot of 
a lot of ways and paths to God. If you leave out that, you, you fell asleep or something, because that is the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. Now, this isn't a, a fire and brimstone sermon either. A lot of people can take and just look at verse 13 and just go shout it on street corners and at people and say, repent, you're on the road to destruction. Right? We, we get in trouble when we do that because, one, you have to understand the context. I love the line that I learned in my master's program, which a text without a context is a pretext. I sound really smart when I say that, so that's why I like saying it. A text without a, without a context is a pretext. So you have to do it complete, and that's why I and I are going to partner up on this, and we're going we're gonna to look at it all. But remember, this isn't something you just go share just one verse. It's got a completion to it. Because God, and my first point is, is telling us the truth through love. That is the ultimate umbrella over this sermon, is that God is telling us truth through love. Not because he's a wrathful God, a God with a, a magnifying glass, and we're just the ants. As I've, I've talked to many people in my life, and that is exactly how their perception of God is sometimes. But he is telling us the truth through love. And as a Christian, and Paul writes about this in Galatians 4.16, he says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Because when you go to somebody in truth, even in loving truth, sometimes they see you as an enemy. Have you noticed that? How dare you say where I'm going? How dare you tell me that there's only one way to God? Right? Yeah, I heard judging. It seems like that, right? But, but you got to understand the heart of God is saying, no, don't you want to know the truth? Don't you, wouldn't you rather understand truth? This is what he's saying. God doesn't want to be your enemy, but he wants you to understand the ramifications of your action. It's important to understand the ramifications of your action. In my story, if my mother understood that if I was to try something without her being there, I probably would have messed it up and I had ramifications for my actions, which I did. And so God's doing this thing. He's like, this is, this is a warning. This is truth in love of what's going to happen. You have to understand the ramifications of what you're going to be doing. We live in a world that has plenty of consequences. It's been set up that way, right? You don't just go through life thinking, well, there's no consequence to anything, so why do we live our lives that way? And then there is no middle ground. Even in the Christian church today, we see this middle ground that's appeared within these two paths. Like there's some kind of middle path somewhere. How many times do we talk to somebody and you hear, well, as long as I'm a good person, God will work it out in the end. Or, you know, I'm not going to worry about it because God knows he's just, we're just, he's going to, unravel it and everything will be fine. That's an ignorant thing to say. That's right. Times have changed. And we're living in a culture that's looking like that. God's kingdom is not a dollar menu item where you can just pick and choose whatever you want. Right? He lays down a truth and he says, this is it. So sin causes us to see ourselves as kind of the center of everything, right? That our way has got to be better than God's way. God doesn't understand. He doesn't understand my problems. He doesn't understand my issues. I'm going to choose what's best for me and my family. Does that sound like anybody in their life ever? <laughs> Matthew 7.13 is a warning brought out by God's love for us, not his wrath. Remember that. It's his love that drives us. He doesn't want us to live in ignorance. He, want us to, he wants us to know truth. You know, when you're sharing with somebody the gospel, one tool that I love, and this is pretty standard across many ways of sharing, 
But if you ask somebody, if what you believed wasn't true, would you want to know? If what you believed wasn't true, would you want to know? Now, it's kind of a trick question because 9 out of 10, someone's going to say, yeah, of course. I don't think I've really had anybody ever say, no, I'd rather be ignorant. Most people say, yeah, I want to know, or, or I know the truth. Okay, how do you know the truth? So God is telling us what the truth is so that there's no excuse and not knowing. There's no, you can't get to heaven and go, God, I, 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 mean, I just refuse to look. I just love to live in ignorance my whole life. It was great. No one wants to live that way. Everyone wants to seek truth. And you know what? I see that a lot nowadays, too. I see that a lot in Utah County when I'm talking with college kids. They urge, they, they yearn for truth. They want to know truth. They seek it out. So times, again, are changing, but some of it is for the good. But, one chance, but my second point, and what I want to hit on, and it's important, is God choose, or people choose the broad path because they want to be masters of their own fate. Because when you look at it, you're like, who would choose the broad path? Why would you want to go down that path? Right? Well, many people do it, and people don't like being on their own. Right? We're a communal people. We like to go where people are. But we also love to be kind of in control. Do we not? We love being in control of our own lives. But God says something about obedience. And I want to hit on just a briefly obedience because understanding God's will in your life has to do with a little bit of that. But it's about how he transforms us too. So John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, this is a verse that I've had to read over and over and over and over again. And what I realized was that a lot of people twist this verse to follow law instead of relationship. Have you guys seen that? Because when you look at it, and in verse 23, in that same chapter, it confirms this. But really, Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's a huge difference there. You will keep my commandments. He's not saying, try to obey my teaching. Just try. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying, if you obey everything I say, you'll be saved. No, that's a completely different gospel. He's saying, if you love me, you absolutely will obey my commands. Let's look at the difference here. What the difference is, is he's saying, one is the law. He's saying, here's the checklist you have to check. If you love me, you'll check these boxes. You'll fail every single time living that life. But then he says, but if you fall head over heels in love with me, I'm going to change you completely. You won't have to do anything because I'm going to transform you. So taking that, the path, when you look in the broad path, he doesn't want you on that broad path. But the broad path is the people who say, well, if I just... Go where everyone's going. If I do the boxes, maybe I'll head down these multiple lanes. But God's saying, no, I'm going to direct your path. He will spiritually and literally change the desires of your heart. That's what we do here at the adventure. That's our goal. That's our mission is to impact our world, grow our dreams. Place place dreams in your heart. I mean, God placed a dream in my heart to go to Utah County I don't know, 40 years ago? I've only been down there a year. He was so far ahead of me. 
But it was that change. It was that the fact that I didn't have to check boxes anymore. I didn't have to be a certain stereotype. I mean, I grew up a pastor's kid, so I always felt like I had to fit kind of a, a box. I had to be this kind of person. And I realized, is, wow, the closer I draw to Christ, the easier it is. Because my desires are changing. I don't want to be in this road, and I don't want to be going down a broad path. It went from religion as a checklist to relationship, which is a new life for me. And I'm sure most of you can relate to that. You don't want to take the broad path. The broad path will look not appealing anymore. You'll see friends going down the broad path that suffer. You'll see family that go down broad's path that suffer. And you'll realize you've got to open your eyes and you'll prioritize your life around, wow, I, don't, I want to be more like you and not them. I didn't want to be a master of my own fate. That sounds absolutely terrible. I want God to be the master of my fate. Amen? And then the truth is there. Well, let me give you this. The truth, and this is something a lot of churches don't like to to say anymore, which is unfortunate. Truth is there is a hell. And unfortunately, Jesus is telling us that many are going to go. You don't really hear that preached anymore, other than fire and brimstone, right? But the truth is that there is. There's, God is understanding enough that he says, okay, do you want to serve yourself or do you want to serve me? He allows us to, to choose. Truth is difficult, but it's not relative. It's objective. Relative is something, and Pastor, I was going to dive into this, but relative is something that changes. It's different for each person. Truth, by definition, is objective. It's it's not influenced by personal feelings or opinions. It represents fact. The fact is, is that there's a hell and there's a lot of people going down a broad path. That's scary. I don't know about you, that's scary to me. This is a scary passage. There's a few scary passages in the Bible. This is one of them. C.S. Lewis has a great line. I I read a lot of C.S. Lewis. He's one of my favorite writers. But I'll paraphrase it for you. He basically says that in the end, there's two types of people, just like there's two paths. He says, one, one people group, God, or they, they look to God, and then God looks at them, and God says to them, your will be done. And then the second people group, people look at God and say, your will be done. You guys get that? There's going to be people who say, God, I want to do it my way. My way is better than your way. My gospel is better than your gospel. And God says, okay, your will be done. But truth doesn't change. He doesn't change truth to match your relative desire. And then the other person looks to God and says, God, I'm so tired of trying to do it by myself. I'm so tired of going down this broad path by myself. Where it says many, but you feel alone. You don't feel like you have a lot of company in that path. And they want to look at God and they say, God, please, your will be done. 
I can't do it. If you're a believer, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been at that point where you're just on your knees, tears running down your face, like, please, I can't, I can't do it, you have to. And then the broad gate looks very appealing in this world, does it not? The broad gate looks like someplace, wow, that's where I want to go. It looks something like this, right? Doesn't sin sometimes look magnificent, beautiful in the moment? You go up to it, you're like, yeah, this is right. Different paths, they all look like this. Makes you feel good. Right? You're kind of feeling driven. You go into these gates, you're like, wow, that, that must be, this must be right. It's a broad gate. It's a, it's a beautiful gate, sin is. And in the moment, it, it sounds amazing. In the moment, sin, sin seems great. But afterwards, it hurts. You realize, oh, this gate is not what I thought it was. When you enter through the broad gate and you go down the broad path, the broad path looks something like this. You enter the gate and you go through the path and you go, I made a bad choice. This is what the broad path looks like. This is where it leads. It leads to destruction. This is just truth. This isn't me coming up with this. This is, this is the Bible. This is Jesus speaking. This. this is God himself saying, this is the repercussions. This is, the, this is what happens. I'm warning you. You have to choose which path to follow. Do you follow Christ? Or do you follow yourself? And what this world says is right. Or what other people say is right. Or what your family says is right. Or do you adhere to the Bible and what it says is right? A couple weeks ago, I was preaching in, in Moab. I was invited to preach at my church I grew up in. And I was preaching on living as a Christian in a post-Christian culture. And I started thinking, the Bible talks about rebellion as, as sin, right? As being, you know, the sinful heart is a rebellious heart. But I started thinking, what happens when sin is good in this culture? What happens when everybody sins and sin is seen as something that's okay? What I, what I started to realize was my, one of my favorite parts about walking with Christ is that I get to go against the grain of everything in this culture and in this world. Isn't that awesome? That's one of my favorite parts. That the world is pushing everything this way. It's a changeable world. It could change tomorrow. But yet the word of God stays exactly the same. And that I can stand on that. I love going into UVU, the community, and just knowing, man, I'm, I'm going to get some looks. I'm going to get people who just reject me. It's almost to the point now where I get excited about it because I'm so different. We are, as a body, is so different than where the culture is going. They are on a broad path. We're on another path. That's exciting. And I mean, so as we go down these, in these you have to choose a fork in the road almost. You kind of have that visual of, of this fork, a broad path and a narrow gate and a narrow path. You have to kind of decide which one are you going to go down? Which one's easier? 
The broad path is a lot easier. It's a lot more appealing. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live an easy life anymore. I did for a long time. Comfortability just doesn't... It's scary now. One thing I often say to my American Fork team is learn to be uncomfortable in the, comf- in the comfortability of faith. Faith should make you uncomfortable, but you got to learn how to be comfortable in it. Does that make sense? And God is blessing that. I mean, I have a great team that has just given up everything to be a part of what's going on in Utah County. So as I wrap up and, and allow Pastor Ira to come up and actually share some good news, because I feel like I'm kind of the fire brimstone guy here, sharing the bad news. But you have to understand the bad news in order to understand the good news. Amen? Too often we'd say good news, but people don't realize, why would I ever need this? This is why. This is why we have to respond. This is why we have to get out of the comfort zones. This is why we have to go into our communities, our family circles, our sphere of influences, and say, listen, I love you, and I'm going to tell you in truth that there's a broad road, and and many will go through it to destruction. I know we all love our families. I know we all love our people, our interactions, our coworkers. But do you really love them if you're quiet? If you know the truth, but you don't say it. I don't know if I shared this story with you before, and I apologize if I have, but there was a time when I worked in uh, the Verizon store here in Draper, probably three, three, four years ago. And a young girl walked in. It was my first shift. The, the night before even, I'm, I'm praying, God, send somebody that needs to hear your gospel that I can pray with. You know, I was all energetic and bold in my, my prayer room thinking, man, tomorrow is going to be amazing. I'm going to share God with everybody. And so the first person who walks in is this young girl. She's probably 20, 21, 20. And she looks really down and I'm like, ooh, this is it. This girl is like, she just needs to hear God. I know it. And she comes up, and she's like, hey, I need a new phone. So I start talking to her about it, and I say, what do you need? She's like, well, I just need something that's going to get me by for the next six months. I said, oh, you know, what, you got on vacation. What's going on? She's like, no, I, I have terminal cancer. I'll, I'm going to be dead in six months. And I remember just thinking, okay, this is a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> you know, a part of me was rejoicing. The other part was like, what, 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 what do you say to that? You know what, guys? I... I froze. I let her walk out that room not understanding anything. To this day, I can't forget that. That I was too afraid to say something. I don't know her walk. I don't know where this was, but all I knew was there was somebody in front of me who was literally dying, and I was too afraid to say something. And then, I, I mean, I went to the bathroom and I bawled my eyes out because I had, I felt like the biggest loser and I blew it in the world. Because I was too afraid to speak truth and love to somebody who needed it. And she needed it. It was very heavy on her. And I saw her walk out. And I just pray, that's it, guys. That is the heart that motivates us. That is the reason why we have to get out. I hope none of you have to feel that the same way I did. But we see it every day. 
Every single day we see it. You'll see it today as you go to lunch. Your waiter, your waitress, somebody's going to be there. So on that note, I'll, I'll bring uh, Pastor Ira up to talk about good news. Awesome. Little buddy, huh? Gosh, that's what I'm famous for, being, being Kelly's little buddy. <laughs> Kelly, that was awesome. You guys appreciate that? I especially like his his understanding that God speaks to this out of love, out of his love for us. I so appreciate that perspective on this. Because we do live in a world where, where um, this type of thinking is looked on as very unloving. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Well, for me, you know, I was confronted with this truth when I was in high school. And... I heard the truth of who Jesus Christ was. And it was profound. It was absolutely obvious that Jesus was Lord, that he died on the cross for my sins. And yet, as a Jew growing up Jewish, there were ramifications to that, that, that I just wanted it to be another doorway. If there was something else that I could do in order to have this relationship with God, I wanted it because the cost was too great for me. You know, if you're Jewish and, and, and you accept Jesus as the Messiah, as, as, as the, your Lord and Savior, it's very possible that your family is going to reject you. It's very similar to what happens here in, in our culture. There is a rejection even a condemnation. And, and I was concerned. I mean, I, I thought, is, is there anything that I can do? Is there anything that I can do that would be able to have that relationship with God, but I wouldn't have to pay the price of possibly losing my family? Possibly they would have a funeral for me. And I would be out of the family. Is there anything I can do? Can I, can I be just a good person? Will that do it? And clearly, that's not enough because no one is good, the Bible says, right? And then, then I thought, well, can I, can I be just a better Jew? You know, that, that could be, maybe that'll work. I'll wear my yarmulke. I'll wear my prayer shawl. I'll go to the, the Shabbat, the Sabbath service, I'll, I'll, I'll do all the holidays, I'll fast when I'm supposed to, I'll feast when I'm supposed to. Can I do that and receive the grace of God? And the answer was most clearly to me that there was only one way, that there was only one door, and it was a small door, a narrow door. And our scripture I'll just read it again so we have clarity on it. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The gate is small. The gate is small. You know, Jerusalem is a walled city. Has anybody ever been to a walled city? Uh, you'd only find them in Europe or uh, in, in the Middle East. Anybody? Yeah? Just a few. 
A walled city is there to protect the city, to keep the people safe inside and keep the bad people out on the outside. And so Jerusalem was a walled city. So when, when Jesus is using this example, it's, uh, it's an example that, that the people of the day understood because the gates were narrow. You can only get in so much. If you had some kind of wide item, you wouldn't get in to the gate. And so Jesus is saying the the gate is narrow. And that's the only way in, is through the gate. These walls are up, and it's to protect those that are inside and keep those that are outside away. The the people, the warriors, the people that want to take the wealth and the blessing of the people inside the town. It's a a difficult gate to get in. It's a narrow gate to get in. Jesus talked a little about this when he talked about people being saved, rich people being saved. He said, if, you, if you're rich, it's pretty hard to get into the kingdom. It's like, it's like going through a camel, going through the eye of a needle, this very narrow passage. It's almost impossible. It is impossible for it to happen, is it not? And Jesus talks about himself being the gate. In Luke 13, it says, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? And he replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside, knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Then you will say, but we ate and we drank with you, and you taught us in your streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you came from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. Here are people, they're hanging around Jesus. They're eating and drinking with him. They're listening to his teaching. You could be in church today. And hang out and still not enter this narrow gate. And this is so important for you to know. This is all about knowing Jesus, being in relationship with Jesus Christ, which happens by his grace, which happens by the cross. You could hang out, you could could read the Bible even. You can even pray and not know Jesus Christ. How many of you know people that do that? They say they pray, and yet yet they have not allowed the grace of Jesus Christ to be that saving vehicle so that they could walk through that narrow gate. You can't just hang out. You must go through the gate. You can't just be a churchgoer. Jesus will say, I don't know you. He's not saying that out of anger. He gives us this warning in our scripture today. Go through the narrow gate and receive life. John 10 says, Very very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. 
All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters in through me will be saved. I am the gate. Jesus Christ is the gate. Anything else is all about robbery and thievery. Any other idea, any other concept in this world that talks about eternal life other than Jesus Christ and him dying on the cross is there to steal your life and your hope and the grace that God wants to afford you in your life. Only one gate. Only one gate. This last week, I had an interesting experience. Uh, over at BYU, they had, uh, they had a, um, a full-size replica of the tabernacle. And I'm not talking about the tabernacle downtown. I'm talking about the tabernacle that's in the Bible. And the tabernacle in the Bible was for the very purpose of people being saved, of people getting forgiven of their sins. And it happened because of a sacrifice and blood being placed on the altar. This literally happened day in and day out, these sacrifices for those that have sinned. You know, Pastor Kelly asked, who's done something wrong? Who's sinned? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we need this forgiveness. And so this incredible example was given to the children of Israel after they they left Egypt, after they they were uh, freed from captivity and slavery. And it was for the purpose of showing us that there is a way of forgiveness. There is a way to salvation. And that's found in Christ. And the most profound thing about this incredibly large tabernacle, it was probably, I don't know, one to two acres big. It was quite large. It had an outer court. It had an inner court. And it had the Holy of Holies where the blood was placed on the mercy seat of God so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Aren't you glad we are? Are you? And what I noticed was that there was only one entrance. Only one entrance into the holy place for forgiveness of sins. There wasn't multiple ways to get in. It was one way, and that was Jesus Christ, the door that we can enter by. Those that enter in through Christ are saved, and they have life to the fullest. Life to the fullest. So now let's talk a little about this narrow road. We talked about the gate being narrow. Let's talk about the road being narrow. Galatians 1 says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. You can't make up your own gospel. You can't make up your own gospel. We want to make up our own gospel. We want to come up with, hey, this is the convenient way to live. And so I'm going to choose that way. Or a gospel that has to do with selfishness. Well, you know, I can, 
I can I can live this way and you know in the end, you know, I think I think I'll probably be okay. You know, I'll tell you, as I was a hospice chaplain for, for some time, and, and during that time, I would ask each person as they, as they got close to uh, th- their dying, and I'd say, are you sure of where you're going? And almost everyone related it back to the fact that they were a good person. They were a good person. Can I tell you, there is no assurance because you are a good person that you're going to be with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the assurance is very different than that, isn't it? The Bible says no one is good, not one. It says in Ephesians, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And and this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no man can boast. The way we come to faith in Christ, this narrow way is through the cross of Christ and him alone. Amen? It is the only way to Christ. I am so glad it's not because I'm a good person. Because as many people can tell you, I'm not. If you know me, you know I'm not. I'm selfish. I brood a lot. (laughs) I am not a good person, but my God has given me the grace, God's unmerited favor of forgiveness for me. And it is because of that I was able to leave behind any of these these concerns that I had that my family would reject me. People would reject me. And I would grab hold of the cross and hold on to it with all my might. The love and the grace of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. Have you taken a stand on this gospel? Or is it something else? By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Today, I encourage you, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and not your own way, not your own way of thinking. Pastor Kelly mentioned relativism, that there are many roads. Our society is founded on this relativistic principle that based on our experience, based on our cultural understanding and agreement, these are the things that are true. But that is not the case. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And I I just want to show you this this, uh, equation here so that you can look at and, and gain some understanding. The, fir- the first proposition in, in this uh, equation is moral relativists claim that there are no absolute moral standards. Most schools will teach that. Most, most religions have an environment that is like this. That there are no absolute moral standards. 
In other words, based on what your experience is, based on where we are in the culture, we are going to change what we think is morally right and wrong. Can you see that that's where we live? Yes? So the claim that all moral standards are relative, which is what our culture says, proposes an absolute moral standard. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? The, the very thing that is being spoken about, that there is no absolute moral standards, is now absolute related to moral standards. It's crazy. It's craziness. To propose there are no absolute moral standards using an absolute moral standard is illogical. And so the relativist claim all moral standards are relative is illogical. And so in our society, and, and my goodness, we, we, we get it right and left. We get it on the news. We get it in, 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 in shows on TV and on the internet that there is a culture of, if it feels good, do it. I think, Kelly, you said that. What happens is, because we understand as Christians that there is a narrow road and a small gate, we are now looked upon as narrow-minded. Narrow-minded. Now, we are not saying that there is only one way because we love our way so much and we are making extravagant claims beyond what is already claimed. We're not just saying, hey, you need to follow us, like, like almost like a political speech. Follow us and we'll give you the world, right? We're not saying that. We're also not making it a fear tactic so that more people respond. We are saying that this is a narrow road because Jesus Christ himself, the one who is the doorway, said the road is narrow and took it himself when he died on the cross for our sins. That's why we say it. Michael Kruger says this, we don't make exclusive claims on the basis of our knowledge but on the basis of Christ's knowledge. If Jesus is the very Son of God, it's reasonable to trust what he says about the way religion works. And so we want to grab hold of this. Luke 22, Jesus is talking to his father. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. What is he saying there? He's saying, if just like me, when, when I came to faith in Christ, if there's any other way, if I could just be more Jewish or something. No, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if there's any other way, but no, there is only one way. And I am going to break through this doorway through my death on the cross so that those that are lost can be forgiven of their sins and enter into eternal life. It is the only way, and that is why Jesus took it. John 14 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
There is no other way. It must be this way. You say narrow-minded. I say, I'm sorry. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. But he said it out of love, like Pastor Kelly said. He said it so that you can know and be warned to take this way, the way of life. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. No one else. For there is no other name on heaven given to mankind by which you may be saved. No one else. No one else. No one else. Michael Kruger says this too. He says, when you say no religion has the whole truth and you're narrow-minded, how do you know? How could you know? Have you thoroughly investigated every world religion? And wouldn't you need some kind of access to the whole truth yourself in order to make the judgment that no religion has the whole truth? To put it simply, if a person is going to make absolute, all-encompassing truth claims, they better have access to some source of knowledge that is absolute and all-encompassing. I said that word almost right. (laughs) Compassing, thank you. Who is that? It's Jesus Christ and him alone. Him alone. Come follow me, he said. And so we look at this narrow road, and this narrow road leads to life. Leads to life. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to, to, to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies, and therefore, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? When Jesus says this, he's talking about a life that goes beyond 80 years here on earth. It's a life, an eternal life, that was paid for with Jesus' death when he bore each one of our sins on that cross, the perfect sacrifice, so we could have forgiveness and walk into the narrow door being Christ himself. There are two gates. One that is easy. It is easy and it leads to destruction. But also there's one that narrow and you need to choose it today. Today is the day to choose. You cannot just stumble upon it. You cannot just fall into it. You need to choose the grace of God. I remember on our honeymoon, Cynthia and I, we decided to be a little adventurous in, in uh, Jamaica. And, and we decided we, we were only there for the day, and we thought, we're not going to take the tour. We're going we're gonna to just go out and walk on our own. And so we started walking. It was nice neighborhoods, and we walked a little more, and we finally got to this one place and, and made a left, and, and we're thinking, well, I wonder what's up that street. And we walked up that street, and we immediately realized that we were in grave danger. And that is where people are that are just 
walking through life, hoping that in the end, it will all work out in the wash. Choose today to follow Christ. Won't you stand with me? We're gonna we're gonna respond to the Lord. You know, Hebrews nine twenty seven says it's important. It's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. This is a very significant moment. We we only have this life to choose Christ. There is no I'll make a, a makeup test after. After death, this is it. And if you, if you don't know Christ, you have the opportunity today to receive his grace, his love, his free gift to you. There's many here who do know Christ. And before we ask people to respond, I, I just, you know, I had this vision, this, this last night before I went to bed. I said, Lord, help me, please to share your heart with people about how much this means that people come to faith in Christ and receive their forgiveness and enter into that relationship of knowing you forever. And I'm sorry to use this illustration, but, uh, you know, I had this picture, and it was this picture of thousands of happy people being told that that they could get the first shower that they have had in days and be de-liced lice taken off of them with chemicals in Auschwitz And they, they walked into that chamber thinking they were going to get something good. And they wound up tortured and dying. Those of you that know Christ, you have people all around you that are walking into the death chamber I know I'm being dramatic, but you guys, we have got to share the gospel. I don't care how your feelings are. God doesn't care. You're here for this one purpose, folks. We are here for this one purpose, to proclaim this great news that there is a narrow door that people can walk through and have eternal life. And they don't need to walk into the doorway and the path of death and destruction. How many of you know someone right now that needs to hear this in your life? Raise your hand. Everyone here should be raising their hand. Everyone. Because there's so many people out there that need God's love and God's forgiveness. How many of you are willing to get out of your comfort zone, get out of the boat, as I talk about in base camp, and make steps towards sharing the gospel with those that you know in your life. How many of you? you know, this, is not, this is not a game. This is life and death. This is black and white, like Pastor Kelly talked about. 
Lord God, right now we just pray. We ask, God, that you would give us your boldness, that you would give us your heart for those that don't know you, and that we would take steps to be able to love and care for and invite and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those in our lives. There is nothing more loving that we could do, nothing more significant that we can do, nothing more fulfilling than we can do than share your love with those around us. I pray, God, that we would break out of our comfort zones and choose your way today. And I want to give you an opportunity today while we're praying. If, if you don't know Christ and, and you Maybe you've been around for a while. Maybe you've been eating and drinking around Jesus. But today the Lord is drawing you to himself. He is calling you to come through this great gate we call the cross of Christ and accept the grace, his unmerited favor so that you can be forgiven of your sins and enter in relationship. If that's you today, just raise your hand. Raise your hand right now. Just... Give that opportunity for the Lord to move in your life right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I just want to encourage you. Today is the day of your salvation. Allow the Lord to move in your life. Lord, we just pray for those that are are giving their hearts to the Lord right now. We ask God. Maybe they raised their hand. Maybe they didn't. Lord, you want to forgive them. We pray, God, that your forgiveness would be upon them as they trust you with the promise of eternal life through your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Please, please know that you, you are here for this purpose be able to reach out to family, friends, and co-workers and neighbors and share the gospel. I would encourage you to be determined with God today. And before you go to sleep, identify people in your life that need to hear about this narrow gate and begin praying for them and sharing with them. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.